Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King from King Creole Sports. Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And our good friend Jim Feist, the legendary Jim Feist, is ready to go against the spread on this week's college and pro football cards. And Victor, what a week it was last week. Uh, I know there was a lot of everything going on in the world of college football, but the National Football League, I think people who bought the Sunday ticket got their money's worth when six NFL football games were all decided on the last play and all by a field goal. Right, and that was a a record in the NFL for a weekend as well, with six games being decided by a field goal at the end of regulation. That's definitely the way to start out the show, Mark, that's for sure. Uh, For you, a good winning weekend with your college and NFL plays, including the best bet winner, New Mexico State for the fall's favorite game of the year. So very nicely done again for Mark's service. Uh, We did well, five and two for our over-unders, and that's combined college and NFL. Our four-star best bet was a winner with the Chargers and the Lions over the total, 79 points in that game. A lot of fun to watch for over-the-total betters, uh, that is for sure. So uh, well done for both of our services. And, since we usually lead with a college football story, Mark, if you ask me, uh, it's not necessarily the fact that you got five undefeateds trying to fit into four spots in terms of the playoff. But to me, the most important thing about college football that occurred uh, over the weekend was the fact that the coaching carousel is in motion and it is running now with two weeks left in the season Last weekend saw Boise State and Mississippi State and Texas A&M all fire their head coaches, including your buddy Jimbo Fisher, not to mention Penn State firing their offensive coordinator, USC firing their defensive coordinator. Yeah, a lot of upheaval in the world of college football last week. At the top of the list, as you said, Victor, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M decided to eat that $76 million pill. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if I'm one of the boosters there, I'm, I'm livid. But nonetheless, <laughs> $76 million. Are you kidding me? Uh, so we will see a, a whole lot of changes, I think, at the end of the football season for sure. But that's, I think, a precept of what's to come in the world of college football. And you mentioned, Victor, about the undefeated teams in college football. And we're getting down to the nitty gritty. One little comment I want to make here before we move on. Uh, and I'm going to bring Andy and uh, – uh, Jim in on this too for their for their opinion uh, in the college football rankings this week Washington won a pretty good football game last week they beat the third ranked th- third time this year they beat a ranked team but didn't move up in the polls they're the only team in the country that can say they have three notches in their belt by beating ranked football teams but yet not in the top four how do you guys feel uh, Andy about where Washington is in that ranking poll and uh, do you see them making the college football playoff this year? 
Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the polls are sort of fluid as far as we know that everything's going to be decided for the most part uh, in a couple of weeks when all these conference championships are held. We know Washington or Oregon likely is going to have an opportunity. Georgia and or Alabama from the SEC. Michigan and or Penn State from the Big Ten. Not sure if anyone from the Big 12 will make it if Florida State goes unbeaten in the ACC, although that has been a very weak conference this year. So the fact that Washington is not in the top four right now doesn't mean it'll change. I would think Washington, if they end up running the table and beating Oregon for a second time, this time at a neutral field, they would have an edge certainly over the loser between Ohio State and Michigan, who would have at least one loss, likely just the one loss. Uh, and uh, I could also make a case that they should have an edge over a one-loss, uh, well, it'd be either a one-loss Alabama or a one-loss Georgia team, but we know the committee likes to get in there. So Florida State might be the one team gets left out because of their strength of schedule other than that opening uh, game against uh, LSU. So I think Washington and Oregon uh, will control one of the spots, especially Washington, if they go unbeaten. So I, I don't think that standings mean all that much right now, uh, but it may serve as a little bit of motivation in their game this week. Jim, what about you? You think that would be motivation for Washington this week, uh, just the fact of what happened? And, you know, now their goal has to be going undefeated. As Andy mentions here, there's so many good one-loss teams here. I don't think they want to make themselves prey to that. What do you think that situation would be in that Washington locker room this week? Well, they're certainly making a case for having more teams in the playoffs. Yes. For sure. This, this, uh, but I, I don't think I could add much to what Andy says. He follows this a lot closer than I do. And, uh, yeah, I, absolutely there's motivation. These kids want to go into the playoffs. They don't want to miss it. And they know what they have to do to do it. And, uh, well, at least they, they think they know what they have to do to do it. <laughs> you never know. You know, all – that dirty word of politics ends up showing up somewhere along the line. Well, it, it does. For sure it does. I mean, politics, NCAA, I mean, they all kind of go together. Uh, Victor, why do you think that line moved in the Washington-Oregon State football game? Figuring that uh, they've opened up a small favorite Washington, then it's gone to two and a half Oregon State, and there aren't any major injuries uh, what do you think there's a smart money is thinking for a move? I'm trying, I'm trying to figure that out as well, because that the first thing I looked at was injury report uh -huh. and, then, and then second potential weather impact. Yep. Neither. So I'm a little bit perplexed on that as well. I get you. It's a kind of a mind boggling thing. I don't want to be later the point on, on one football team or one game, but that's uh, sort of a, I think a football game. I think that when it's, the dust settles this week, we'll find out exactly how that uh, affected the Washington-Oregon State football game this week. Do, do you, Mark, do you, Mark, do you think that they caught up with the fact that Oregon State has covered 14 of the last 15 at home? Well, that's a really good point, Greg. Uh, something I wasn't aware of, uh, 14 out of 15, that's a pretty strong number. Uh, Jonathan Smith's done a great job with the football program. They have much the better defense in the football game. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, they felt that the wrong team was installed as a favorite to begin with. Right. And you keep know. in mind, Oregon State can still play for the Pac-12 championship game because they're playing Washington and Oregon in back-to-back -back weeks. If they win both games yes, and Arizona loses one game, Oregon State will be in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, I think it's, it's a combination of Oregon State being a much better team than a lot of people think because they're overshadowed media-wise by Washington, uh, by Oregon, by USC to a great extent, and even to Utah because of their 
past recent success and the fact that it becomes harder and harder to go unbeaten as you get deeper into the season. And this is a situation on the road in a relatively competitively expected game for Washington to lose. And the fact that when you go back to the Washington win over uh, the uh, Washington win over Oregon, Oregon really outplayed them in that game. So it may very be a, a situation that if Washington's going to fall, this would be the most likely place before they would have to have a rematch with uh, Oregon. Well, Oregon State certainly the disrespected and overlooked team. So that might be – I mean, there's a lot of handicappers out here that I, I noticed what they're on, and they are on Oregon State in this game. Yeah, a football team that's kind of played under the radar a bit this year, although they played really, really good football unquestionably. And you know, the other thing, guys, before we move over to our college football game of the week, I'm just thinking here, seeing this out through the end of the football season, uh, into the college football playoff, and how would it feel if for the Pac-12 in their final season, they're having this terrific season here, um, the mm-hmm. best win-loss record uh, outside the conference, uh, all, all of a sudden, all these teams have meaning, and they look like they're really good football teams. But what happens when none of them make the college football playoff, is that bias or is it just the fact that uh, that's the way the cookie crumbled? By the way, another point in this Washington, Oregon state team, Washington's bolting the, bolting the conference for, I guess the big 10 yes, Oregon are. state and Washington state are going to be the two teams remaining. The judge in Washington earlier this past week uh, handed down a decision, which will be subject to appeal and all that, that yes, Oregon State and Washington State control everything within the Pac-12 because according to the bylaws or whatever, as long as you, once you've announced that you're going to leave, you no longer have a, a voice. And I think they did that by taking USC and UCLA out of the decision-making process when they announced last year that they were going to the Big Ten. So will Oregon State's motivation to say, okay, you guys left and we're left hanging with just ourselves and Washington State to find opponents for next year? Or will Washington say, hey, you guys are getting all the money that we should be getting because we're still members of the conference, even though we announced our move. wonder how much that plays into some of the psychological aspects of these games and our betters taking notice or taking a position because of that, perhaps, on Oregon State. Well, as, as you mentioned, Danny, uh, they become the Pac-2 next year. And uh, <laughs> I, I've read where there's talk where they will form a Pac-2. Right. They don't know how they'll play against each other, whether whether they'll play two games home and away against each other and then load the schedule up, obviously, with non-conference teams. But uh, that's the ugly situation, having a Pac-2 two-team conference. And by bylaw of the NCAA, you're not allowed to form a conference with anything less than eight teams. So, you know, I don't know if there's a caveat to that, that they're allowed to do this because of this breakup. Uh, it, it, it's all... To be de- to be determined, I guess. I, I believe they've given the Pac-12 a one-season reprieve to get things in order. My guess is that they will likely form some sort of combination with the Mountain West right, uh, conference, right. whether they call it the Pac-West or the Pac-12 you know, reinstated. I would imagine there are some good teams in the uh, in the Mountain West that, uh, unfortunately, with maybe with the exception of uh, UNLV and maybe San Diego State, no real huge media markets for the conference, and that becomes important when you're negotiating TV contracts. Sure. You know, that, that, that came out on Twitter today, or X or whatever platform you want to call it, uh, this morning, that the fact that both of these schools are, in fact, negotiating today to schedule seven to eight games in the next two seasons against Mountain West opponents. Yeah. There you go. So yeah. that's tongue in cheek, but there's some bad teams in the NFL. That could play. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, they could maybe make move and move them out and bring some better teams in there too. <laughs> hey guys, you're listening to Mark Lawrence against the spread. 
the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And we're, we're going to move it over now to our college football game of the week. And since we're talking Pac-12, let's stay inside the Pac-12. We've got a good game on tap, a rivalry football game, if you will. We don't see there are rivalry games, and they still do exist. It's just that they're not as important. I don't think the rivalry means as much to these teams anymore these days. But UCLA is going to take on Southern Cal in a big rivalry football matchup. Victor, how do you see this football game shaking out? You know, it's kind of interesting. At the top of the show, uh, I did mention the fact uh, that the coaching carousel is already in circular motion. And the fact is, one of these coaches is in jeopardy as well. This has come out in the last 24 hours. Uh, reports have emerged that UCLA is indeed preparing to fire Chip Kelly. A de final decision has not been made yet. But if you want to talk about, you know, coaches on the hot seat, uh, there's definitely one for you there uh, in Chip Kelly. In regards to the game here, the um, – uh, UCLA Southern Cal, I believe it's a 3:30 Eastern. This is USC's final home game, and you got a clash of styles here that is uh, very, very dynamic. Uh, USC, you know what you're getting—a lot of points on the offensive side and on the defensive side as well. In fact, the number two over team in college football is indeed these Trojans. Uh, Obviously, sharp betters know there's only one team in college football that's gone a perfect 10 and 0 to the over this season, and that would be, of course, the LSU Tigers. But right behind them at 9 and 2 to the over is indeed the uh, USC Trojans. UCLA, on the other hand, with a very, very good uh, defense, and the fact that they've had their own little circus at the quarterback position all season long where they've been starting three different guys at quarterback. Uh, obviously, a very good under team. 80% of UCLA's games have indeed gone under the total on this season. We're somewhere around uh, 65 to 65 and a half is what I'm seeing in regards to the over-under line uh, with USC favored by six and a half to seven points. So that comes out to what we call an implied score of USC 36 UCLA 29 and a half. And obviously the very first thing, Mark, that jumped out at me when I researched this is the fact that these two teams have been involved in some high scoring games as of late. That's for sure. In fact, each of the last five seasons, the over has cashed in this USC UCLA series. The average line 66, average score 83.4. <laughs> the average margin, plus 17.4. Last year, these two teams accounted for 93 points. Two years ago, they accounted for 95 points. Three years ago, they accounted for 81 points. To me, it it's pretty much providing the only path for us to go in this game. And let's probably play a few dollars, a one, maybe two-star play uh, on the over in this particular game. Obviously, uh, Chip Kelly is known for his offensive prowess. Again, they've had some difficulties. They've started uh, freshman Dante Moore a couple of games. Uh, Redshirt junior uh, Garbers has started four games. Uh, that transfer, uh, Schley, also started okay. last right, week's right. game. Right. And uh, it's expected to be Garbers this week under center. Again, it's a clash of styles. But from what I've seen in regards to previous series, it's Throw a few dollars on the over, enjoy the game, 
USC could go out big time in their final home game of the season, and we'll play. Uh, we'll call it a two-star opinion on over the total. Andy, what do you see between the Bruins and the Trojans this week? Is that intense rivalry going to be in place, or are they getting ready to make the move to the Big Ten Conference? Did we lose Andy? That's the question. No, there we go. I oh, had to okay. step away and cough for a moment. Didn't no want the world to hear that. I, I understand everything <laughs> that Victor was talking about. It makes a lot of sense. I'm going to take a little bit of a different uh, look at this game. Number one, I think there could be a correlated parlay opportunity here. If you like USC, you like the over. If you like UCLA, you like the under, because this is the best UCLA defense in many, many years. I mean, just look at some of the numbers that they have, and also its strength against weakness as far as UCLA uh, on the offensive side of the uh, football uh, they've got a decent passing game UCLA uh, but uh, their running game is is really good 180 yards per game going against one of the 20 weakest defenses against the run and that's UC USC allowing 182 what that allows UCLA to do is if they happen to get the lead slow the game down and keep the ball away from the prolific uh, USC offense now the USC offense by the same token they are outstanding in the passing game but they don't run the ball very well they average about 150 but that's not the key point UCLA allows only 69 yards per game about 2.3 yards per rush meaning that UCLA the the approach they should take is USC, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to show you can run the football because we're going to concentrate on taking away your passing game and make you more one-dimensional and see if you can beat us that way. I've generally preferred taking points with the defensive team, especially when it's a better defensive team. So I'd be looking at, uh, UC at UCLA plus those points. Now, I did mention a correlated parlay. I think it's more likely that UCLA could win a high-scoring game than USC could cover win and cover in a lower scoring game. So I'm not sure if I'll play the under, but I know I am on UCLA. Jim, it's kind of a, an oddball twist of a game. Uh, as Victor mentions here, Southern Cal brings all the tools to the table. As far as overs go, you've got a UCLA football team. Who's got 163 yards a game, the better defense in the football contest. What is Jim Feist going to look at in, in a situation like this, the well, over the side or, or what do you, what do you think? When, you know, when when you look at this game, how, how closely you're looking at the strength of schedule that that have accumulated these stats that you're talking about, where this where is the strength of schedule with, between these two teams? That's what I I would look at. You try to go with the stronger strength of schedule as the determining factor of which way to go. Good point uh, between the two football teams. I'll look that up in our midweek alert newsletter because we've got that all lined up inside there, our statistical newsletter. Or you can also see it in the Logical Approach football newsletter this week as well. I encourage your listeners out there to download a copy at thelogicalapproach.com for that great football newsletter. I, I, I do take a look at USC having played the more difficult schedule. One of the things I like to look at is what's the record of the teams you beat and what's the record of the teams you lose you lose to against everybody else? Now, UCLA's uh, and I only look at FBS games. So UCLA's won uh, six FBS games against teams that are 29 and 25 against the rest of college football. Southern Cal, on the other hand, their seven wins have come against teams that are 28 and 35 against the rest of college football. But it's the teams that you lose to that uh, there's a little of an interesting dichotomy here. UCLA's four losses have come against teams that are 21 and 15. Southern Cal's losses, however, have come against teams that are 29 and 7 
So, you know, Notre Dame, for example, is one of the big components there. Washington is a big component there as well. So the thing is, USC has played the tougher schedule, but they've struggled against the better teams they faced on that schedule. Andy, what's UCLA's record going into this football game? Uh, do you know it right off the top of your head? I know they're, uh, they're they are six and four. They did not play any FCS any okay, uh, so FCS team this year. But, so let's imagine that uh, uh, they beat Southern Cal. Now you put a seven and four on top of the Southern Cal record here, and all of a sudden UCLA doesn't appear to be outclassed so much as to the teams that they lost to before because they are indeed a winning football team. Uh, that's, that's that's true. At the same time, USC's record against teams that they've lost to will also be improved from that twenty-nine and seven because yes. they will have lost to a team that's now seven and four at the so, time. Exactly. Yeah. So the schedule will be a lot more difficult. So it's a it's a question of do you go with the team that had the tougher schedule, which seems to me clearly to be USC, or do you go with the or do you go against the team that has struggled when facing strong football teams, such as the case of USC that has not been able to beat that many winning teams. Well, if I look at the football game myself, I go back to my old rivalry matchup football days. And the first, when I started looking at these games, the first checkbox list I would make would be the revenge factor, which UCLA holds. Uh, I would also look at the, the defensive in these two football games, which obviously UCLA has a big, big check mark in this particular situation here. And uh, you've also got the fact that the Southern Cal football team has been struggling laying points. They're, Five, last five games this year, they've not cashed a ticket. So, you know, it may be the USC players saying, thank God it's our last game at home this football season here because it's been sort of a disaster, if you will, for the Southern Cal Trojan football team. It, I would love to know how how well or how much well-liked Chip Kelly is inside that locker room for UCLA because if he's a well-liked man, and as Victor mentions here, those rumors are hot and heavy about replacing him right now. And with all the cha changes taking place in the world of college football, I wouldn't be at all surprised if after this game, Chip Kelly is no longer the head coach at UCLA, especially if he does not win the football game. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv. And only at uwager.lv can you get Friday night juice minus 105 on every play you make for the weekend on all your football games at uwager.lv. Uh, you can also pick up 75% free play and 125% casino bonus on your plays also at uwager.lv. Check it all out. Log on at uwager.lv or give them a call toll free. The number is 1-800-U-WAGER. And guys, let's move over to the National Football League side of things where when you look at the card, Victor and I were going a little bit back and forth about what game we're going to use because there aren't all that many marquee games on the card this week. Uh, no. And, right. you know, so if, if other, I – Other than the one being played Thursday night. And, right. and, and Monday night. That's the, right. that's, and, yeah, Monday. That's the, and Monday night, yes. Yes. But everything else in between, uh, you know, in, in between that loaf of bread is sort of, uh, you know, average at best. And uh, so what we, what we settled on, was a, a team with a winning record against a team that doesn't have a losing record. And that's going to happen when the Las Vegas Raiders go to Miami down here to take on the Miami Dolphins. And, Victor, we got a little bit of a, a, a yin and a yang type thing going on here with these records of these two football teams. From an over-under aspect, what do you see happening here? Before I get into it, and we, uh, we do have a play in this particular game, an over-under play, Mark. Before I get into it, there's been a couple of, 
really, really good uh, feel good stories uh, in the NFL that are uh, kind of uh, hot this week. Uh, obviously, this Joshua Dobbs story in Minnesota is a uh, great, great story. The uh, Mr. Smarty Pants, a guy whose side job is literally a rocket scientist. He works. <laughs> he works for NASA, for God's sakes. Uh, you think you think Cleveland is maybe regretting trading him uh, earlier uh, in the season? Right now, the Browns. I think maybe because this guy has got it up working upstairs, and that is for sure. And uh, the sky's the limit. Minnesota can they potentially catch Detroit? Maybe, but they can certainly qualify for the uh, NFC playoffs. Another feel good story. Obviously, everybody is on the Houston Texans. And the great, great rookie season of C.J. Stroud, uh, the Ohio State uh, quarterback. He's setting NFL records uh, almost on a weekly basis. And, uh, you know, Mark, his MVP odds are, 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 have materialized this week a little bit more. Prior to the season starting, C.J. Stroud was 200-1 to 1 to win the MVP in the NFL. As of this week, C.J. Stroud is down to 20 to 1 odds to win the MVP. Um, With that said, guys, there's only been one rookie in the NFL. Who's the last rookie in the NFL to win the MVP award? Any guesses? Well, you you gotta I gotta clear out the uh, the the hard hard disk. I would say I would say Dan Marino. And a clue that Mark will probably get it. This is obviously one of obviously one of my favorite football players of all time. One of Jim Brown. Oh, there we go. Yes. Jefferson from the Dirty Dozen. Jim Brown in 1957 was the last NFL rookie to win the NFL MVP. Good for him. Uh, another wow. another way that we get to mention the great Jim Brown, and I love it. And speaking of the Cleveland Browns, you mentioned about the Joshua Dobbs. He yeah. was there. Right. They tried to get him back. Yes, they did. They did try, and he ended up with Minnesota. Right. And uh, DTR is the reason that Cleveland got rid of Joshua Dobbs. He's great preseason. Right. He, he had yep. these fantastic preseason numbers. You're absolutely Correct. right, Jim. Yeah. Correct. So they got rid of Dobbs, thinking DTR is like the next coming. And then after things happened, they tried to get him back from Arizona, but he ended up in Minnesota. Not to divert from this game any at all, guys, but you brought up BTR <laughs> and the Cleveland Browns. Um, and, and, and Mark wanted to talk about this game anyway. A little bit. <laughs> I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, a little bit of what's going on inside this game here is uh, the decision that Kevin Stefanski had to make about whether he was going to start DTR in this football game or P.J. Walker. And everybody was a little bit surprised when he named DTR. But then the deeper you dug, the deeper you understood the Browns' thinking here. Walker, has, uh, I think, he had one touchdown pass and five picks in his starts. That's not a ratio that any coach would settle for. And the last time that uh, Robinson uh, started the game for the Browns, it was in an emergency situation where he didn't right. even know until the day before the game he was going to Against be. Against the Ravens, right, yeah. Right, yeah. he had no preparation time not whatsoever. So they want to get him a full week of prep to find out exactly what they've got here. And like Victor says at the beginning of the season, or Jim says, they knew what they had in DTR, and that's the reason probably they let Joshua Dobbs go. 
Right. And plus, he has second half of the season upside. You know what you're getting at B.J. Walker. That's for sure. No Serviceable at the, at the same time, quarterback, but can't lead an NFL team uh, uh, first stringer. At the same time, knowing what they have in DTR, why did they then go try to get Joshua Dobbs back? Although I will excuse, no, I will seriously, I will excuse DTR's performance in that first game under those circumstances. He's now had several games to sit back and watch and learn. Don't know what'll happen, but I would expect a better performance out of him this week than he had in his NFL debut. It's not unusual Andy, to see that happen. Andy, they're not done either. My number one source, uh, as far as Cleveland sports, is my brother up in Northeastern Ohio, Kurt. And he tells me the Browns are still working to improve their quarterback room with Watson now out for the year. So they have made additional quarterback inquiries. You're absolutely right. Who is out there they could get? That's the question. Right, right. Uh, uh, for a while there, they were thinking about Carson Wentz. He signed with another team. So that is the question, though. Uh, is there anybody worthy out there? that you would think about starting uh, instead of giving the rookie from UCLA a significant second half playing time. But guys, let's do this. How about we go over to this Raiders Dolphins game that we set okay. up here and decide to go down a different road. <laughs> you know, uh, guys, uh, we're going to give the ball to Tuco. Tuco had a nice winner for us, you know, last week with, when he said go over the total in the Baltimore Cleveland game. And what do you know? We got those points in the first half of that particular game. Heck, you saw the final score. What was it, 38, 37 or something? Yep. A very unexpected AFC North Division shootout. Uh, so let's give the ball back to uh, King's best friend. And he wants a little bit of exposure with the number one scoring offense in the league. That's the Miami Dolphins. But – Tuco is a little bit wary of the fact that NFL second halves have been very low scoring this season. So that means Tuco is playing over the total in the first half of the Miami Las uh, Vegas Raiders game down here in South Florida. Our Dolphins had a week of rest. They are raring to go. It looks like uh, Achain is going to be back in the lineup for the Dolphins, uh, running back position, returning kicks as well. And I played this when it first came out on Monday morning. The line was 23 and a half. And that's a big line if you know your first half totals. Because 24 is a very common number, particularly in first half scoring. I mean, take a look at some of the popular numbers that would have a game finishing on 24 at the half. 14 to 10, 17 to 7, 21 to 3. Those are all pretty much common first-half numbers. Which, by I, the way, begs the question why they didn't set that line at 24-and-a-half. That's where we're they, at right they, now. Well, perhaps because they're playing a rookie quarterback for the Raiders' side. But the line in the game is going down, which is weird. It opened at 48. It's down to, I see some 46s, some 46-and-a-halves out there. So there is a chance that if you shop around – you can still find a 24.0, and that's going to be the key number. At least if it finishes on 24, we tie. At 24 and a half, I might pass. But again, I think if you shop around, you might be able to find a 24.0 in this particular game. Miami, uh, there are four home games this year, 48 points combined against Denver, 27 against the Giants, 35 against the Panthers, 24 against New England. 
So they are a perfect 4-0 and to the over in the first half of their home games. Now, the Raiders have been playing some good defense. I certainly acknowledge that. That is for sure. Uh, they've been kind of neutral in the first half of their games as they average as a team 9.7 points per game. But their numbers are rising as of late. Perhaps that coincides with the coaching change and the fact that uh, he's letting Aiden O'Donnell cook at quarterback with the Raiders these games. 12.3 points per game in their last three, which is a good sign for us. And then on defense, the numbers are almost as good as the offense. Miami's second last in the league, allowing 14.8 first half points per game. Raiders are allowing 11.6 first half points per game. So, again, Tuchel and I, we got our wager in at 23 and a half. If you can shop around, look for a 24.0 as we play the Dolphins and the Raiders over the total in the first half down here in South Florida. I like that too. Is, comes is, in there, early. is there a team total in that game that you like? Uh, team total. Let me see here. I got that real quickly here. Team total is Dolphins anywhere from 29. A couple of books. I got Dolphins at 29 and a half. A couple of books are 30 and a half for the Dolphins. Raiders, a solid 16 and a half is their team total across the board. Of the two, obviously, if you can find the Dolphins at 29 and a half, I would lean to the toward that team total, Jim, uh, for a full game total. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I'm looking at in the game. I li- I like the Dolphins uh, to win the cover and and also to go over the spread, but I like Miami over the their team total better. All righty. Andy, that uh, I, I read somewhere the, uh, this Aiden O'Donnell, the quarterback for the Raiders. A lot of people like him. A lot of yeah. uh, a, a lot of people in uh, on the yeah. coaching staffs all throughout the league. In fact, it was said that some thought he was first round material. Right. And uh, he looked like he's been impressive so far. What's your take on O'Donnell since he's had that starting job with the Raiders? Uh, he he was even impressive uh, in the preseason, which is he why was. they did not feel uncomfortable in benching Jimmy G. Uh, once the coaching change was uh, was made. But, you know, this is a situation of like an FCS team going up against an FBS team because the Raiders, yeah, they've won the two games. I was on both of them. I like the Raiders quite a bit. But they were against the Jets and the Giants, two of the weakest offensive teams in the NFL, albeit both teams, especially the Jets, are decent on defense. So we don't know what we're going to get out of the Raiders' offense this week because they have faced – better defenses than they uh, than they will this week, although Miami's defense has shown improvement. At the same time, I'm not so sure if the Raiders' defense can contain that Miami offense because now they're going to be challenged by uh, a team that can run the ball and can throw the ball. And, yeah, Max Crosby is a great uh, playmaker as far as that goes, anchoring the uh, defensive line and all that, uh, that he adds to the team. Um, I do think Miami coming off the bye week is well prepared. I think Waddle also is going to be uh, back this week as far as uh, having missed some time. I, I think Miami is a little bit too well balanced for the Raiders defense to be able to hold up. So I do think that uh, Miami is the right side in this game. And maybe we see something along the lines of a, of a, a you know, 37 to 20 type game, which might uh, also uh, put it over for the uh, two full game. Because I think Miami's defense can give some things up, especially if they're playing with a lead that I expect them to be playing with. We're, we're into the second half of the year now, and we, we definitely have the haves and the have-nots in the NFL. We, we have the, the Tommy DeVitos playing quarterback, and, 
and these and these there's players in the NFL right now that shouldn't be in the NFL, and these these teams are playing for playoff spots. Now we know Miami hasn't lived up to expectations against the the best teams they've played, but this is certainly not one of the best teams they've played, and they are coming off the bye. They have all that speed. Almost nobody in the league has the kind of speed this team has. And Agn and Waddle, and then of course you know uh, they're gonna they're gonna open it up and they're gonna be throwing the ball all over the field. Now I don't think Miami could, the Raiders could keep up with that. I don't think that's their style. They just played like Victor said the Jets and the Giants, who are two of the worst teams offensively in football. Well, I'll give you the breakdown here, guys. We talked a little bit about uh, how Miami has fared against good teams and bad teams. And I put this through the database before we began the show about Mike McDaniel, since he's been the head coach with the Dolphins. And when he's taken on teams that do not have a winning record, 500 or less, he's 13-5 and five straight up, 11-6-1 and one to the number. Those are really healthy numbers. Against winning teams, the Dolphins are only 2-7 and seven straight up in those football games. So this is... By record, a team that they should be able to handle. That's the reason they're the big double-digit favorite. And also noteworthy, Mike McDaniel has really protected the home turf since he's been with the Dolphins. 10-2 and straight up and 9-3 and against the spread. Uh, it's kind of difficult for me to make the case for the Raiders here in this football contest with the Dolphins being rested like this, but uh, I like what I'm hearing uh, from everybody else with a report on this football game. Hey, guys, let's move it over now. To Jim Feist, he did a great job once again recapping the NFL last week for us. He's got another recap on what happened in the National Football League last week. If you would, Greg. Good morning, everyone. It was a great week for picking winners in the NFL. Let's start out with a classic comeback, I should say, with the Cleveland Browns. (laughs) Unbelievable against the Ravens, who are one of my favorites to be an AFC winner this year. But the Browns and and Watson played better in this game than I've seen him in several years, going way way back to Houston when he played there. But the uh, Ravens made some very uncharacteristic mistakes that – Ball off the helmet, interception just opened the floodgates, and they came flying back in, and they win the game. And, of course, Pittsburgh, they do what they always do. They win ugly. They they don't outstat anybody. Everybody gets more yards than they get. And they win. Just uh, it's classic the way they do it. They're not very good but they're very efficient at their style. I don't know where Jordan Love gets all that offense because he hasn't looked that good the whole year. But then again, you look back and the previous game Pittsburgh played, they made Will Levis look good too. So I'm throwing a little bit of shade on the Pittsburgh defense. I can't say much about this New England mess. I'll let that for somebody else that knows better what they're going to do. Houston, Stroud is unbelievable. <laughs> what I mean, this guy, nobody expected, first of all, nobody, quarterbacks coming out of Ohio State never looked this good. 
But we do have to remember that Joe Burrow was at Ohio State and then he switched and transferred to LSU and he wins the national championship. So maybe we finally got one that actually played his college career at Ohio State that looks good. He looks real good. He makes great decisions. I'm going to flip over from him to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson looks like he has the talent to succeed, but there's something missing. I don't know what it is. Maybe he stares down his receivers, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Jets because I don't believe they're going anywhere unless, of course, by miracle, Aaron Rodgers comes back and saves them. But uh, he may be staring down his receivers, making decisions that he shouldn't be making, but they they can't move the ball. They can't score. Uh, maybe it's the coaching staff. Maybe it's the offensive coordinator. I don't know. But there's something missing there because he has the talent to succeed. It's just not developing. So in a development league, I'd have to say he needs a better situation to move on. Minnesota, New Orleans. I'll tell you what, Josh Dobbs looks like he can play. I know he's very smart, very intelligent guy. Um, nobody really ever gives him credit for doing what he's doing. It's kind of like, oh, that was an accident or that was, you know, an out. You know, it's just he is playing very well. He's very intelligent. He's athletic. He's got a decent arm. He moves well. I think we've got to stick with him a little bit. Murray comes back for Arizona, and he led the drive at the end of the game to win it. We have to remember how talented he is. If he is focused, if he wants to play, if he wants to do it, he has the ability. He had it in college. He still has it. The talent is there, is the desire. That's the question. In a lot of good games, I mean, Dallas over the Giants. The Giants are basically a high school team at this point. Um, they've had a lot of uh, turmoil this year. I guarantee you that uh, Brian Dable will not be the coach of the year to this year. However, he is a good coach. He'll come back. I don't know what to say about the Chargers. They got the defensive genius as the head coach, but they can't play defense worth a damn. They put up points. They got an offense. They've got talent. They got the quarterback. They got other players. But how about the Detroit? We never talk about the Detroit Lions, and they are playing extremely well. Their defense also is suspect. However, their offense has been terrific, and they like playing for their coach. Uh, that is a very sneaky team that people will have trouble with. If I could see what happens if the Lions meet the Dallas Cowboys in a playoff game. What do you do with that game? That would be very, very interesting. Actually, I look forward to that. But uh, that's a first look in at what's going on or what went on this past week. Another right-on-the-money job by Jim Feist, as always. And speaking about, as always, Victor King in his NFL segment does a terrific job when he does his NFL over-under review and preview. Let's see what Victor has to say about the NFL over-under review preview this week. 
Hi again, everybody. It is Victor from Mark Lawrence's Playbook. I am your totals guy, have been now for 20 plus years. We cover NFL over under wagering with our totals newsletter, the totals tip sheet newsletter. And you see the headline over there, best bets now 6-0 and over the last two weeks. So what we normally do with a little, oh, seven to nine minute segment here is that uh, we will do a little bit of a review of NFL Week 10 action. We'll take a look at a preview of this week's uh, Game 11 over-under action as well. Let's get into that. Uh, if you're not well-versed in your Latin, Fortis Fortuna Adiuvat, it's one of my favorite betting expressions. Fortune favors the bold. We always remember that. When we do our sports wagering. Now, again, the NFL overs, they made a slight comeback last week. You know, it's been a long time since we had a pro football weekend with more overs than unders. We got to pretty much go all the way back to week two in September for that last such week until last week, week 10. It wasn't what we would call an overwhelming weekend. But there were some high-scoring shootouts. Eight out of the 14 games did indeed go up, going over the total. Uh, it was only the second week since week two with more overs than unders in NFL action. With that said, though, you know, something's never changed. Like the fact that NFL primetime, that's the night games, once again, went a perfect 0-3 last week. And when I say 0-3, that means zero overs, three unders. Heck, in the last two weeks, primetime games have gone 0-6 over-under. That's nothing. Over the last four weeks, the last 11 NFL primetime games have all gone under the total on the season now. The night games... Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night games on the year now, 7 and 25 over under. You know, if you're thinking of going over the total in an NFL night game, think again. Think about passing or perhaps joining us with many under the total winners in these primetime games. Again, week 10 was a good one with our totals tip sheet. We went 4 and 1 overall including a perfect 3-0 sweep in our page two best bets. The good news for us, the total tip sheet, is finally back into overall profitability for the season. And, and not only that, but, you know, our King Creole game day service is in a really, really nice, solid groove as well. In fact, in the last three weeks in the NFL, our King Creole service, over of the week winner in the Chargers-Lions game. That was our four-star best bet last week. We brought home the bacon, 79 points scored, a very exciting over of the week. Two weeks ago, the over of the week was a winner in the Cowboys-Eagles game. And finally, three weeks ago, our over of the week was a winner in the Saints-Colts game. So again, you want to join us with our game day selections our King Creole selections are available each week at playbooksports.com. You can also access our handicapping selections 
every day by uh, uh, punching in our website shortcut. Just go into your web browser and punch in pb.buzz slash VK, and you can get on board with our over-under selections who are enjoying a very, very hot month of November, and uh, that is for sure. So let's get into a little bit more of our review last week. We told you about the primetime games, 7-25 and 25 over-under on the season. Last week, Sunday, late afternoon kickoff games with an interesting 4-0. and All four of them ended up going over the total, while none of them ended up going under the total. Now, with that said, we've got a little bit of a uh, – we're going to take a look at each team's current home and road scoring on the season. It's a good time to do that. We're basically – right at just about the halfway point of the NFL season. So let's take a look at some, in, in what's been a very underwhelming season in the NFL, let's actually take a look at some teams who have had high-scoring results at home this year. One of those is our local boys, the Miami Dolphins, who will be hosting the Las Vegas Raiders this particular week. Miami, combined points at home this year, they lead the NFL 62.0 combined points per game at home. This week's over underline against the Raiders is about 48 points. You can kind of see which direction that we are leaning in that one. Also high-scoring home teams this year in the NFL, Indianapolis Colts, a combined 57.0. Philadelphia Eagles, 56.6 combined points per game at home. L.A. Chargers, 54.0. Of course, last week's shootout against the Lions helped L.A.'s a home uh, high-scoring numbers. They definitely did. Dallas Cowboys at home this year, 52.5 combined points per game. Arizona Cardinals, 53.0. Washington Commanders, 51.3. And finally, Detroit Lions, 50.1. Those are the eight teams in the NFL that are averaging 50 or more combined points at home this season. They're basically the only teams that you want to look into when betting and over. Now, with that said, we'll take a look at the opposite end of the coin as well. Least combined points at home this season. Number one is the Cleveland Browns. And yes, they'll be at home this week. They're hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Deshaun Watson is out for the year. They're back to either P.J. Walker or the rookie Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback. And Cleveland home games have averaged only 30.2 combined points per game. Guess which way we're leaning as they host the Steelers this week. Also, low-scoring home teams in the NFL. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 32.2 combined points per game. Las Vegas Raiders and New York Jets, their home games this year, only 34.6 combined points per game. Carolina Panthers, same thing. Low-scoring home team, 34.8 for Carolina home games. Green Bay and Pittsburgh, they played each other last week. When both teams are at home, it's been low-scoring. Green Bay, 36.5, and Pittsburgh, 36.7. Those are the eight teams in the NFL that are averaging less than 40 combined points at home this season. That's about all for our review. We're going to do a really, really quick pre-
preview. And normally, we let you know what one of our totals, tip sheet, best bets are. But they've been so hot, we're going to keep that on the down low. After all, we're trying to get people to purchase our playbook newsletters like the totals tip sheet. So we're going to hold off on those OU best bets that are on page two in each week's issue of the tip sheet. We'll let you buy this week's issue number 11 and see for yourself. But in the meantime, we are going to give the ball to our boy Tuco for a one-star free opinion this week. And Tuco's going back to what he does best. That's team totals. His play this week is the Tennessee Titans to score over 16.5 points. That's right. Their over-under line is only 16.5 points on the road against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and Tuco likes Tennessee to go over that number. I know they're only 2-7 and over-under on the season, and they're averaging only 17.1 points per game. The good thing is, is all we're asking them is to get their average. The bar has been set pretty low for us this week. How about this Jets-Titans series? I'm glad you asked that. In the last seven games versus the Jaguars, the Tennessee Titans have averaged 25.8 points per game. They've scored 20 or more points in six out of those seven games. It makes our number of 17 or higher pretty reachable for the uh, Tennessee Titans. And it's not like Jacksonville has a dominant defense either. They do not. The Jaguars are ranked number 23 in the league. They're allowing 21.1 points per game on the season. And in their home games, even higher. 27.0 points per game is what Jacksonville is allowing at home this year. Uh, Looking at Tennessee's offensive success on the division road as of late, pretty much seals the deal here for Tuco and myself. Since the beginning of the 2019 season, Tennessee has averaged a very high 29.5 points per game in their last 12 division road games like this one is. So there you have it. Our one-star free play this week is a team total from King's best friend Tuco, and it's on the Tennessee Titans to score over 16.5 points as they take on the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road in a Sunday AFC South Division clash. There you have it, our review for Week 10, our preview for Week 11. We're giving the ball to Tuco. He's playing the Titans to score 17 or more points. That'll do it for this week. Best of luck with all of your Week 11 selections. And don't forget to get back to the Mark Lawrence Against the Spread podcast. On the money, as always, Victor King with his NFL over-under reviews and previews on the football card. And with that, let's move over to Andy Isco. We've got Andy live on our show today. And, Andy, we always love about talking those NFL line moves that occur in the National Football League. And just an FYI to our viewers and listeners out there, you can watch Andy's contest review of all the major contests in Las Vegas. It's a standalone video. You can check it out online at playbooksports.com or on the Playbook Experts YouTube channel for that contest review from Andy Isco. And what about the line moves this particular week, Andy? Anything particular that caught your eye? 
Yeah, several games, and in fact, I've grouped them into two different categories, three in each category, and so we'll do category by category rather than game by game. And they sort of, a couple of them have themes. Uh, the first game, the first game is a is an injury related game. It's the game between the Steelers and the Browns. The advance line, ten day advance line, had the Browns three and a half point favorites at home against Pittsburgh. Uh, when the line came out Sunday night. Uh, the line was up to uh, four. However, then the news broke on Wednesday that uh, Deshaun Watson was out for the season. And uh, I think at the time, it was not known yet who was going to be starting quarterback. Uh, DTR ultimately got it. It wasn't that long before Stefanski made that decision. So when they put the game back up, uh, the Browns, instead of being the four-point favorites that they were, the game was actually made a pick em game. Uh, actually, we saw some steady money that brought it down to pick em. They didn't take the game off for very long. Uh, however, after it reached the low of pick em, the Browns have come back to be a one-point home favorite in that game. Another game involving a, uh, an injury to a quarterback is the Chicago at Detroit game. The Lions at home, eight-and-a-half-point home favorites in the advance line when the line was reposted Sunday night. It was a, the Lions were a nine-point home favorite. They were actually bet up to ten and a half before the news came out that Justin Fields is likely to return this week for uh, the Chicago Bears. I'll put likely because I think there is some talk that maybe they are rushing him back a little bit, and the long-term future, unless maybe he's not plans along part of their plans for the long-term future, uh, is is uh, being the decision may be rethought. However, right now it's expected that he will start. As a result, we saw a huge move in that line down from ten and a half to the Lions seven and a half. The third game I'm putting in this category is the game between the Giants and the Commanders. The advance line had the Commanders as eight-point home favorites uh, last Tuesday. When the game was reposted on Sunday, the Commanders were up to 10-point home favorites. That game actually went up to 10.5 before money came in on the Giants, betting it down to 8.5. It's now back up to 9, so it's a little bit of a surprise. Like your comments, guys, on the two quarterback issues with the Brown Steelers and the Lions Bears and what you think might be behind uh, the uh, unusual movement in the Commanders game uh, based upon uh, nothing that I understand is, is injury-related. And then my second set will have a totally different theme. Victor, do you think the line move in the Browns game was a fair line movement uh, from where it was with the Sean Watson and where it is right now? Yeah, I'm not surprised by how that's moved at all in that particular game. Uh, they, they, they had to do something. So I, I think we're where we should be where we're at right now. Yeah. Well, the best unit on the field is the, is the Browns defense. Yes, it They're is. Ranked very, very high in the league. Uh, we have no idea what the Browns are going to come with on offense, except DTR. You go back to preseason, and that's why they're starting them. But the Steelers' offense has been pathetic. Um, they they don't move the ball. They Whatever they do in the fourth quarter, that magic dust that Tomlin puts out there, and they end up winning. But hey, it's all in the fourth quarter. Hey, Jim, you mentioned that. Uh, I read that stat on Pittsburgh. Uh, I think they ranked sixth in the NFL in uh, – uh, uh, percentage scoring percentage in the fourth quarter of football games. That's how much they improve in the fourth quarter. It's, a, it's unbelievable. Tomlin's a hell of a coach. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't have that much talent, but he he's a hell of a coach. I agree. And as far as the other line moves are concerned here, the first thought that crosses my mind, Andy mentions the Washington, New York Giants game. And it's almost always, it seems, correct me if I'm wrong with these line moves. It's what have you done for me lately? And they're so reactive to what happened in the last football game. The New York Giants have been just pathetic. 
uh, the last few weeks, and it, you're going to see these lines move against them, especially when they were worse last week than they were the week before, hence the reason for the line move in situations like that. Uh, do you think, uh, Andy, that these line moves are a little bit uh, a little bit too easy to depict, or is that the reason that these games are moving that way? Well, well, the reason I picked the commander's game is because the line move did move from eight initially when it was posted, taken down, back to 10 to 10 and a half. But why the love for the Giants? Because they haven't done anything since these lines were posted no. uh, following that uh, that loss to Dallas. So there has been some support down to eight and a half, came back a little bit. So that's the perplexing part of the move. Not that the line move went against the Giants, but then it went back in favor of the Giants. And it wasn't just from 10 and a half down to 10, which I could understand it's a key number, but it went down even below a little bit nine briefly. So you think that's maybe putting a team in a Peter Principle category that they can't handle Washington laying double digits in a division game? Uh, so, you know, people go start crunching their databases and they see these e-god-awful numbers in situations like that. Is that part of a reason you think this game might have come back down? I think so, because I think the initial reaction uh, going in favor of Washington is that the Giants have not just been bad against Dallas. They've had some other one-sided losses. On the other hand, if you look at the four wins that Washington has, the largest win was by eight points. Uh, they had a couple of three-point wins. I had that four-point win opening week against Arizona. And then even on this very same field, they gave up 40 to the Chicago Bears in a 20-point loss on a Thursday night. Yeah. At the at the trade deadline, Washington moved some players, and people said, "Well, they're giving up on the season." But when you look at them, they they those keep trying. I mean, they could have won in Seattle, which is a tough place to go. It's cross country, and they have some offensive talent. So, the the selling off their players at the trade deadline and then still working as hard as they are to win is very confusing. Is there anything about Tommy DeVito? He, I, he's is, going to start. That is positive. Oh, <laughs> he's no. going to start. That's positive, I guess. <laughs> I I don't see any positive numbers coming out of him. Uh, but you know, it's a situation, Jim, where I think it couldn't get any worse than what it is right now with New York. So, you know, I think they're just kind of like uh, taking the boat, paddling it into in, into shore, and getting ready for next football season. Well, let me ask the total question to Victor: What would you make the over and under line? on the Giants scoring in this game. I'm sorry, come again, Jim? What do you make the Giants over and underline for them scoring in this game? Oh, well, uh, well we can look that up. What, what the Giants team total is? Is that what you're asking? Yes, yes. Giants team total is... It's got to be 13 uh, and a half to 14 and a half, I would think. Washington, Washington's 22 and a half to 23 and a half, and Andy's right on pretty much 13 and a half across the board uh, for the uh, Giants. Obviously, be much more uh, 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 enthusiastic about playing the Washington team total over. Uh, if I asked you guys who was the uh, – which NFL quarterback leads the entire league – in passing yards for this season, you might see some uh, guesses like C.J. Stroud, the rookie, or maybe Tua, or maybe Josh Allen, maybe Jared Goff, maybe Patrick Holmes. Is about how? It, how about Sam Howell? He is the number <laughs> one uh, quarterback in the league in terms of passing yards this season. I know we talked about him about a month ago, and we tried throwing in the towel on Howell. But you know what, guys? From the top of the team, from the front office, all the way down to the locker room, uh, this team thinks they have their quarterback of the future in Hall. 
You know, I yes, they do. I, yeah. I've got the, the the other three games all have a common theme, and it's almost like a theoretical type question. The line moves are in the uh, uh, game between the Raiders and uh, the Dolphins. Uh, which uh, opened 10, went up to 13 and a half, so it passed a key number of 13. Uh, then there was a number, another game, uh, the Titans and the Jaguars opened six and a half, went as high as seven and a half, it was crossed the key number of seven before coming back down. And the Monday night game, Eagles at the Chiefs game opened two and a half, went as high as three and a half briefly, and went back down to two and a half, crossing the key number also of three. So my question is, when a game crosses a key number, or when a game hits a key number, they usually have expect to see a buyback. Is there any significance that the buyback didn't come as soon as they thought that it had to go to a half point above that key number before the buyback begins? And which game are you speaking, Andy? Uh, well, all three of those because, well, okay. specific, specifically the, the Titans and Jags were crossed seven and a half, went back down to seven from six and a half, and the Chiefs game two and a half to three and a half, back down to two and a half. So it went to up to and over a key number and then came back. There, there's a couple different kinds of, of betters out there and, and they're significantly, they're significant money players. They have, they have money and they put it out there. Some of them play just numbers and they right. have no idea who the teams are. They just look at the numbers, run the stats. They come up with a number and they make the plays. They, they don't care who a team it is. A, B, C, D. They don't, they don't need to name the giants and all that stuff. The Cowboys, other people take in the, just look at the teams and see and do the eyeball test of what they've seen. And then there's a combination players that do both and, and they do it at the same time. When you look at the, the Giants, you can't make a case that they have looked like an NFL team. And, but if you look at the numbers, they might there might be numbers in the Washington scheme of offense defense and you want to bet against them. And that's the same thing with all these teams, the giants. I mean, well, how could you bet the giants? It's eight and a half at one book right now. Well, they could, you know, you know, there's some smart middlers out there too. Very sharp middling action, but middling is all about timing, but there has been some sharp middles. Andy just brought it up. You could have had the Jaguars minus six and a half, then turned around and bet the Titans plus seven and a half in that game. You could have done the same thing in the Dolphins game. You could have played the Dolphins minus 10, and you could now play the Raiders plus 13 and a half. Even the third game you mentioned, the Monday night game, you could have played the Chiefs minus two and a half, and at one point also had the Eagles plus three and a half. So there was some sharp middling going on, if you ask me, this week. Jim, you mentioned about uh, some some of the players don't even care about the names of the teams, and it uh, it's a little bit of what I do in the National Football League with, with what I call putting tape over the names of the teams and looking at the statistical performance of the teams to find out who exactly it is that's qualifying on the card each week. The thing that bothers me with the New York Giants is the fact that they went into Dallas last week playing with humiliating revenge from a 43 to nothing home loss, and they didn't even show up again. Um, you know, at what point do you say that uh, enough is enough and you don't want to touch the New York Giants? Well, when you look at that and you mentioned that, it's perfect. Is What will make them show up this week? That's if my question, right. Really, didn't. I watched the game. It was horrible. Yep. I mean, it's, I, I, I don't very – I rarely lay points, especially big points. And I laid points with Dallas last week. I and mean, it just – we do have the haves and then the have-nots. When you look at these games, Miami, Dallas, uh, 
it's it's there's teams that just are better than the teams they're playing. Jim, you you laid all those points with the Dallas Cowboys last week. All I can think of is Roz, his beautiful wife, probably had the smelling salts out as soon as he made that play. <laughs> By the way, you, you talk about the Giants and possible uh, reason why there's some support for the Giants. You had DeVito come in cold two weeks ago when Tyrod Taylor went uh, went down, Daniel Jones went down, etc. They had a week to prepare to face one of the league's better defenses in the Dallas Cowboys on the road. Now they're facing a team that they're familiar with because they saw Washington earlier in the year. The defense played well. Giants won that game at home 14 to 7. So maybe it's a combination that the Giants acknowledge that they match up better. Well, most teams will match up better against Washington than they do against Dallas. And you've got a little bit more of an experience for DeVito, who, you know, who doesn't have that. I don't know that he has that much of an upside, but I do see he does have some room for some slight improvement. And he'll be facing a team that the coaches just saw a few weeks ago. Andy, what else have you got on tap for the uh, NFL line moves for our show this particular week? That's pretty much it. I, I will throw okay. a little something in there. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the uh, contest video that I do each week. Yes. Uh, we're working on something that uh, we're not ready to announce right now, but I think that the listeners and viewers will find very interesting. Hopefully, we should get it started next week. It's sort of in conjunction uh, with the uh, contest video. Good. We'll look forward to that announcement, hopefully, next week. With that, guys, let's move over to our what we call our roundtable. This is a part of the show that I really like. Uh, I like it because we're not prepared for it. We get questions that are just thrown at us, and we you get real honest mm -hmm. answers without having to do research or time to do the research, and that's coming from our producer, Greg De Palma. And I want to bring Greg into the show right now. Greg, welcome to the roundtable. What's on your mind this week? Well, we may not have Greg here right now. Uh, I was what? pulling an Andy. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, sne I sneezed. I didn't want anybody to hear me. Okay, there we uh, go. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to remind our viewers that a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about trying to get up to that 500 uh, number as far as subscribers, and we are inching close to that number. So uh, hopefully by the time we do the show next week, and uh, and that is something that we should definitely talk about before the end of the show, Mark, is uh, when we're going to do the show next week, since it's a big holiday week. But hopefully I'm figuring, by Wednesday, I'm figuring Wednesday right now, Greg, if it's good with everybody. OK. OK. So there you go. Um, hopefully by Wednesday, we'll have that 500 number and then we can start talking about 600 because we want to get to a thousand before the end of the season by the Super Bowl. Okay, so I, I have to ask you, Mark, because uh, there's a couple of trends I wanted to see if you, I, I know you probably don't have them right handy, but maybe Victor or, or, or you can take a look at them. But there, are, uh, I think there's like a game or two where there are teams facing, including the Giants, three straight road games. Um, are there any trends out there that viewers need to keep an eye on regarding NFL teams that go into their third straight road game? And uh, while you look that up, the other one I wanted to ask you about, two more, and it had to do with the Monday night game. Is there a Super Bowl rematch trend? And um, we talked about the bye week coaches a couple of weeks ago. I'm pretty sure Andy Reid's pretty good at that, isn't he? Isn't he yeah, one of them? He's pretty good. Yeah, I'd say Andy's pretty good with bye weeks. But here's one thing about Andy Reid and his bye week, Greg is the fact that the team he's playing is also coming off a of bye week this week. Sure. Okay. And I looked at that in the database, and I looked at Andy's record, and it's really, really strong. I think it's 28-5 and five. he is straight up in his career. But against teams that are coming off a of bye week themselves, he's only 3-2. and two. 
in those football games. So that added edge that he has perhaps isn't there quite there when it comes to the other team also having, you know, that particular edge as far as that's concerned. Uh, and I don't know, Victor, do you have a chance to look at the three in a row on the road? The thing that pops in my mind, first of all, is I look to always fade road favorites in their third of three in a row on the road. It's taxing, it's tiring, and you're laying points probably in non-division football games. That would probably be my first best guess. I do got the database open. Uh, we'll go back. Uh, heck, we can go back pretty far, and it has not been uh, fantastic for teams playing in their third straight road game. 89-115-2 and two ATS. Uh, slight lean toward the over. Uh, 104 overs, 96 unders. Uh, a little bit more overs as of late in the last five years. There are uh, two such games this week, two teams playing in that third road game, the Giants that you just mentioned being one of them, the other being the Tennessee Titans who are on the road against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, but it has not been a great ATS. Let me see. It's not been great in conference games, excuse me, division games either. And these are both division games. Those teams have gone 43 and 69 ATS. So it does not bode well for grabbing the points either with the Giants or with the Titans this week. All right. And I don't know, do, did you guys uh, happen to notice any Super Bowl rematch trends while you were doing your research this week? Andy, I don't know in your database if you can do Super Bowl rematch. We cannot in ours. Uh, I can look at Super Bowl winners and we can look at Super Bowl losers and I can put them in situations. But I don't have the ability to bring a a, uh, a rematch, a Super Bowl rematch per se. Do you have that? Can you do that in your database? I believe there is a way that I can write a little program in time for next week's show that will give me some results going back at least to like the early 1990s as far as Super Bowl rematches go. I don't actually have that as a specific query. I do have, and I don't have it in front of me, no, information about uh, uh, three straight uh, road games. There's only been, I think, the, I think there's only been one previous situation this year of a team playing a third straight game on the road. Uh, so we don't have that much uh, to go by as far as that goes. There are some uh, results as far as teams playing uh, two straight road games and then coming back home or something along those lines, which is a little bit larger database. But I'll look into the one about the Super Bowls and uh, report back next week. As far as this rematch is concerned, um, we have the same head coaches. We have the same quarterbacks, and some, several of the players are the same. The one thing we don't have is on this Philadelphia side, they lost the defensive and offensive coordinators. Right. So, you know, that, that mixes in there. Uh, you might say Philadelphia has this one record, but do they have it with these guys? At, at, because the offensive and defensive coordinators are very important as well. You know, I, I don't want to sound facetious at all in approaching this football game, but it just crossed my mind. And it, I said to myself, this has to affect the football team with the Taylor Swift situation. Not so much Taylor Swift, but the fact that the Chiefs were on a bye week last week and Travis Kelsey was in South America. Uh, Argentina, right. Argentina following her exactly. on the tour. Exactly. I mean, do you, if you're a head coach, do you want all your players hopping off to Argentina? Uh <laughs> Uh, during their bye week and then coming back and focusing on a football game, I just think it might prove to be a little bit distracting as all. You know what's weird is that depending on whether she is at the Chiefs game or not, uh, uh, be there. Kelsey's uh, individual props for that game change based on the fact of whether she is at the game or not. Isn't that amazing? 
Wow. Well, the, the, the fact is he's played a lot better when she's in yeah, the Yeah, you got that right. I think well, in the case of uh, a Travis Kelsey, a veteran player, Andy Reid, a veteran coach, yep. I think uh, unless something really comes out and he has a horrible game, I would think that Andy Reid's probably okay with it, given the player yeah, and cool. the kind of person that he is. He seems to be – he has a he has a lot – it's like Gronkowski. Gronkowski would do all sorts of strange things off the field. When it came time to play, he played as well as, uh, as a Hall of Famer, and I think that that could be the same of Travis Kelsey. I think that – uh, the, the players respect coaches who allow them to take advantage of their downtime to recover, do whatever they want, as long as when they're back, they focus on football, and that's reflected in their performance after the bye. See, little did you know, Greg, when you asked about Super Bowl rematches, that the conversation would turn to Swifty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, that's what I was hoping for. Uh, beginning of the season, Dallas uh, seemed like the team to beat after uh, after a couple of games. Then it was the Niners. Most recently, it could have been Baltimore. So right now, if you had to predict a team that could be the next hot team, who would you pick? I'm going back to, I'm going back to the Niners. I think the Niners, without Williams, without Debo Samuel, with uh, CMC hurt a little bit, uh, they, you know, they, they, they missed the field goal. They lost the one game. I mean, to me, top to bottom, their roster is 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 the best in the NFL. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was so smart and I said that I thought that the Ravens and the Bengals were two of the best teams, and then last week they lost. I would take a look at the 49ers as well, and I'll point this out. The last three weeks when they had all those injuries, or last three games, scored 17 points in each game. In the other six games they've played this year, they've scored 30 or more. In each of those six games, with having an outstanding defense, I think they are the best balanced team uh, this season. And we'll see what happens uh, uh, this year if they can have a healthy quarterback in, a, in what could very well be a rematch against the Philadelphia Eagles. And the 49ers have every reason to play as hard as they can going out because they trail Philadelphia for the potential home field in that championship game. So uh, I think the 49ers will be very well tested by the end of the year. And again, we never know about injuries, but all things being equal, that's that's my pick to go on that run. They're second you know, place run of the year. It sounds like uh, uh, it sounds like Jim's dog agrees with him about that 49er <laughs> play, Jim. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, if you're looking for an interesting 49er play this week, consider their team total over as well. It's at a, it's at a number of 26 and a half right now. And he just mentioned the numerous times they score over 30 this season. And with everything back in place, Nebo back, uh, offensive line back, I don't know how many points Tampa is going to score this particular week. But we know their passing defense is pretty, pretty bad. So consider the uh, Niners over their team total of 26 and a half this week. Hey, Andy, speaking about value, I'm sorry, Victor. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Are you going to say something else? No, that's good. Okay. I was going to say that if you are looking for a team other than the ones that we're likely to mention, how about the Detroit Lions? You go back to what they've done since the middle of last season and that strong finish, including knocking Green Bay out of the playoffs when they had been previously eliminated a few hours earlier. They've continued that this year. And if you look at their schedule, they've got a lot of winning games coming up, including this week, next week, hosting Green Bay on the Thanksgiving Day game. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, knowing that they did it last year without the experience, now that they've got the experience, that we see the Lions make a very strong finish down the street. You're absolutely right, Andy. We don't talk about the Lions enough. They've been absolutely right. incredible. 
uh, and we don't talk, we don't mention them as being one of the best teams in the NFL, but they really are. One of the best defenses, also, Jim. It's one of the real hidden reasons why they've really had this great success. In fact, if you go down and you look, and I, I'm doing this in our midweek uh, of NFL football teams that rank in the top ten, both offensively and defensively, there's only four teams, and the Lions are one of those. Not to and they're running. They're, they're one of the few teams that absolutely have a power running game. Two running backs. That, that have been absolutely incredible. You know, if you're thinking about maybe betting against them this week and grabbing the points with the Bears, maybe getting a little bit acute, maybe thinking there's some value in a division game, I, I wouldn't blame you. But with that said, you know, Detroit's last 11 games against division since late in the 2021 season, a perfect 11-0 ATS, their last 11 games against division. Wow. Yeah, and they, and they weren't as good back when they started the right. streak as they are right now. Exactly. Yeah, back in late, in late 21 and early 22, they weren't a good team. But, and they uh, also play four days later on that Thanksgiving day, so they may just need to do enough to win the game without covering, cover, without concerned about the number. Andy, let me ask you one quick question before we move on to Greg here. Uh, we talked about San Francisco and them being uh, a team you might want to get on right now. And uh, right now in Vegas, and I haven't checked, maybe you guys knew you or Jim know, uh, a current Super Bowl favorite, uh, I'm going to imagine it has to be Kansas City with Philadelphia behind them and then San Francisco. Am I correct on that? I don't have it in front of me, but I can check as uh, uh, you begin the next part of the discussion. Well, I, I well you'd, you'd, have, you'd have to think Kansas City coming out of the AFC, Philadelphia coming out of the NFC and with a better record than San Francisco. That would probably be top the case. three. Yeah. Yeah. So hindsight being 2020, uh, I guess my point being, how savvy or uh, astute would a person have been to bet San Francisco after they had lost three in a row to win the Super Bowl and what sort of a nice value position that would have been? I don't know how much of an adjustment there would have been made after the three-game losing streak, A, because the books already had so much money on the 49ers, and B, uh, the reason for their loss is somewhat understandable when you lose multiple key players. Good points. Real good points. The, the, the problem, I, you know, the, the – Apparently, San Francisco doesn't have an adequate replacement for Williams on the offensive line. I mean, he's obviously one of the best, and some players say he's the best left tackle in the game. So if he gets hurt again, and Purdy then has to deal with the pressure, which he hasn't dealt with all that well, then this whole thing changes. Yeah, it's a real good point. Yeah, the condition of Trent Williams will probably determine how far San Francisco goes. Real good point, Jim. By the I'm way, currently Greg. seeing uh, two two favorites, guys, that both at plus 480 uh, to win the Super Bowl, and that is indeed San Francisco and Kansas City tied at just under 5-1 to one odds. Uh, Eagles at plus 575, just under 6-1 to one odds. The only other team that's under 10-1 to one odds is still that Baltimore Ravens team? I got them currently where, at plus nine fifty. Where are the Lions? And then I'm showing. My, I was just going to uh, Miami and Dallas both at ten to one odds, uh, followed by the Lions currently at twelve to one odds. That's that, that that's a bet. You can make definitely the best odds. I mean, there could be some value there. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing the is, the Lions have, have to jump over Kansas City and Philadelphia. I'm sorry. Alliance team that we point out only has one more outdoor game throughout the rest of the regular season. The Lions, only one. Wow. It's either at home in the dome or other uh, road dome games. 
And uh, by the way, uh, you mentioned the Lions have covered 11 straight division games. Well, the reason why they're my top pick this week, Chicago 1-12 in in their last 13 against the spread versus division teams. There you go. What a combination. So that that, that justifies that line just about. That pretty much justifies it. I would like to ask this question. Why is Fields getting something? Now they've announced him playing. Right. Line goes from 10 to 7.5. Is Fields really that much of a positive influence on the Bears? Well, Jimmy, it's, it's, two, it's two and a half points for a starting quarterback. Uh, that's really not a lot, I don't think, by standard. I mean, you, you know, you'll, you'll find some other quarterbacks that are four, five, six-point quarterbacks. He's obviously not in that class, but you know there well, had to be an adjustment of some sort. And he's he got is, that running that running ability as well, which I think factors yeah. in more than most quarterbacks. True. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, before I wrap it up, college. All right, so – which one of these you, you got two big SEC teams, of course, Georgia, Alabama. They're on a collision course for the SEC championship. Georgia plays Tennessee this week. Alabama plays Auburn next week. If you had to put money, you were forced to put money on either Tennessee or Auburn to win against Georgia or Alabama. Which one of those uh, teams would you put money on? I I would split my bet equally between oh, the two. Really? Even <laughs> on the money line. <laughs> well, again, if you if, if you play them twice and you win once, you win, right, with the big money line proposition plays. Auburn's a big rivalry game against Alabama. They come with everything they've got every time they play. you got Tennessee, a, a really solid football team, off an embarrassing loss, taking double digits at home. That's attractive as well. So uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll throw it out to you, Victor. Who would you play? I would lead Tennessee. I'm very uh, surprised by their improvement on defense this season. In fact, they have a uh, actual better defense than Auburn. So I would lean ever so slightly toward the uh, Volunteers. Andy, I might take a look at Auburn. They've got a, a new coach uh, this year. Uh, was it Hugh Freeze? Yeah. Who's had success uh, in in big games before. Alabama still has some question marks about the strength of their offense. I don't really like this Auburn team. I mean, I'm going against them this week with New Mexico State, largely because it is a flat spot for Auburn with the game against Alabama coming up. Uh, Georgia is peaking at the right time of the season. We saw them struggle early on. In fact, when they played Auburn, they struggled to a 27-20 win. They did give signs of what – and remember, they were replacing uh, Stenson Bennett, the uh, quarterback who – not the greatest athlete, but a very – a player that the players played for. So that took some time for the new quarterback situation to resolve itself, to, to work itself out. And that game against Kentucky, when Kentucky came in there unbeaten and was 51 to 13 start, Georgia started a nice little run, got a couple of tests that they really didn't struggle with as far as pulling away in the end. Uh, so I'd be, I'd be surprised if Tennessee, especially for example, the fact that they lost to Missouri is no big deal. Missouri is a very good team, but the fact that they were basically non-competitive in that game gives me some concern. Which one of these uh, college, if you're the next, A&M might be the team that uh, is going to have the best job opening. And let's say they are. Which one of these head coaches would you, if you were the uh, AD, which one of these head coaches would you hire over the other? Chris Kleinman, Matt Campbell, Lance Leipold, Jeff Trailer, Willie Fritz, Eli Drinkwitz, Mike Elko, or Barry Odom? 
Well, Odom's got a few miles on him. I don't know if uh, he fits the MO per se that they would be looking for at AM. And you've got Leipold and uh, Kleiman playing one another this week. You know, maybe the winner of that goes a long, long way towards answering that. But uh, I'm a I'm a big uh, Kleiman fan. I'm a big Leipold fan here. So probably my vote that way. And we don't know yet enough about Elko. He's doing a terrific job with Duke so far. I would tend to agree with you that uh, both Kleiman and Leipold are excellent candidates. Of course, the one I think that uh, they were, A&M is probably most interested in is over at Clemson right now in uh, Davo Swinney, who uh, I think has some ties to A&M and has been mentioned yes, as has. a possible successor. By the way, you know, you, you talked about at the start, Victor, these coaches, uh, or maybe it was Mark, talking about the – Victor, talking about the coaches getting fired with like two weeks left in the season. Yeah. Why not just let them play out? And I'm wondering if they're starting to do that to give – other coaches who might be interested in opportunities added time to prepare for those openings, especially in AM and even to a lesser extent, the Boise State for a, let's say, a, yeah, a group to address of their buyouts. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Real good. I'd like to ask, I'd like to ask a question. Sure. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy the last few weeks about Jim Harbaugh. Does anybody have an opinion as to what might happen with him and whether he'll be in the NFL next year? I think if you, if you polled Andy, Victor, and I, there would be three votes for the NFL, I think. I don't see him, uh, one, staying at Michigan, or two, going to another college football team. Yeah, he'd have to have the uh, perfect job, though. And and uh, that's – so would, who, what would that be? I mean, would it be Vegas? It's possible. Well, somebody's going to pay him a lot of money. Yeah. The Chargers. The Chargers would be a great place because he'd be – that would be a huge upgrade. Probably as big a huge upgrade in coaching as could be possible right now in the NFL. But the owner, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know what, though? Uh, one of one of Jim's favorite coaches, I just heard it within the last 24 hours, I've heard is almost a slam dunk to be coaching the Chargers next year. And that's uh, uh, our buddy up in New England. From what I've heard, from what I've heard, Belichick is out, and if he wants the Chargers' job, it's his. I have to correct you. If you mentioned my favorite coach, that is not no. (laughs) I was being a little sarcastic there, Jim. Okay. Yeah, if if Bill Belichick became available, I, I I'd be kind. Look, I the one I think everybody would would look at the Giants as a really good landing spot for him now. I, I personally don't. I think Bill Belichick, it's, he's done a remarkable, he's had a remarkable career. Nobody probably will ever duplicate what he's done. But I think he is very stubborn, very set in his ways. People don't, he, he they don't always like working for him. He, he doesn't listen to anybody. He is a difficult guy. He's, he's done so much in his life. Maybe he feels like he doesn't have to listen. But when you look at his draft choices over the last 10, 12 years, they've been awful. And, right. Just uh, head coach, though. No, no, no a GM role. Just head coach. He's too old to take over a NFL team that starts from the ground up. He would only take over a team that's ready to contend, that has a quarterback in place. And I would so, say a team like that would be where there could quite likely be a coaching change. Washington with Sam Howell and a new owner. That's another possibility. You're right about that, Andy. You new owner with big bucks. Yes, exactly. A very rich owner down in Carolina. Tepper. The one thing about the Chargers, their ownership has never been known to go for big bucks. And 
they've had questionable history. I mean, they fired a coach years ago and Marty Schottenheimer was 14 and two. So I, I'm not going there. Well, you know, they are, they are uh, a bit on a cheap side, if you will. That's one of the reasons they moved out of San Diego and you know, they couldn't get a stadium done there. And uh, they moved to Los Angeles. Now they're sharing with the Rams. And I don't know if that's been a good move there or, as well or not. But uh, I think the bottom line answer to your question, Greg, the consensus would probably be Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. And uh, to wrap it up, uh, I know we've trashed uh, Iowa's offense and the nation has trashed their offense all season. And it's almost made it like a, a joke about how bad their offense is. But I think now depending on how they do on Saturday, if they win on Saturday and they clinch a berth in a big 10 championship game, I think, I think the, the writers and the broadcasters and the critics, owe Kirk Ferentz, one big uh, <laughs> apology because he has done an incredible job to get that team into the big 10 championship game. And now he loses Cooper DeGene for the season. He lost his quarterback. He lost his top receivers. He, I mean, he's down. I mean, this quarterback that's playing has no right to be playing uh, for a Big Ten championship team. And now he loses Cooper DeGene. If he gets his team to the Big Ten championship game, I think everybody owes him an apology. And and I think he deserves a lot of respect for what he's done. Well, I think he owes an apology to the world for keeping his son on the coaching staff as long as he did. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And he's been trashed for it, and he deserves to be trashed for it. Yep. But the point is, is I think that's all that's happened to him all year long. They just keep trashing him, keep trashing him, keep trashing him. And all he's done with all these injuries is put his team in the Big Ten championship game. You know, it's really unique, Greg. You mentioned that uh, Ohio State Michigan are going to play one another. The winner is going to go there. And, you know, depending upon what kind of a game it is, and you know it will be intense. And then here comes Iowa sneaking in there as a big twenty-point <laughs> dog in the championship game. <laughs> yeah, just exactly what he what he would love. Andy, uh, you want to give your pick this week? Oh, okay. We're going to the uh, game of the, the selection of the week. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay, as opposed to my pick on Harbaugh. Yeah, sort of talked about. It, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with that's uh, your one, pick of the week. Uh, I don't know if you get well, probably some offshore places you can. Oh, on, I'm on, sure there is. Uh, I'm going to go with an ugly NFL underdog this week, and it's the Carolina Panthers getting 10, 10 and a half over the uh, Dallas Cowboys as a home underdog. Uh, Dallas is off their second blowout win this season over division rival the Giants. They're now 4-0 straight up and ATS straight up and ATS at home with each win by 20 or more points. But on the road, Dallas is just two and three straight up and against the spread. Now, whereas the losses at San Francisco and Philadelphia are certainly understandable, the loss at Arizona uh, is not. That loss have happened in, in week three, right after they had outscored the Jets and Giants 70 to 10 in their first two games. In fact, road favorites that won their previous game by 21 or more points this year are just 1-8-1 and one, uh, against the spread the uh, following week. Uh, Dallas would have almost qualified as one of those losses, uh, but their their win over the Jets was by 20, not by 21. So that's not in that database or it would be even even worse. Um, when I look at, uh, at Carolina, uh, they're just 1-8, and eight, but they've played well at home. They've actually won all three of their games uh, – at, uh, sorry, they've gone three and one straight up uh, with their lone win 
uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, I got the numbers wrong here. Uh, two of the three of the three losses, only one was a one-sided game. Two of the three losses were by three and eight points at home this year. Defense has played well, ranking number seven in total defense, including number six against the pass. It might be a stretch to call for an outright upset at those attractive odds, but a competitive game would not be a surprise, especially with Dallas hosting division rival Washington four days later on Thanksgiving Day. So getting the big number with the Carolina Panthers is a is a play that uh, that I've made this week. Andy, I got to throw this in there. Uh, you know, one of our really, really good customers, a good client, very sharp, astute NFL player. I mean, very sharp. Uh, sent me a direct message on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it now. And he alluded to the fact that uh, there was talk in Dallas. I don't know if it was a reporter put it out as a rumor or a talk or whatnot, but the, the thought being that the Cowboys should entertain the fact of starting Trey Lance this week uh, in this football game to kind of maybe better get him prepared for the future. And the first thought that came to my mind was that, that would be locker room material for the Carolina Panthers. You know, Dallas looking down at them like they didn't even count in a football game like that. So I think that's what the Panthers need is to get a hold of that that rumor or that, uh, that tweet that went out about that and feast on that, if you will. That, a- well, that actually uh, makes an awful lot of sense because they do play four days later, later. And a game against Washington, you know, Dallas is pretty secure where they are, but you always want to win your division games. You're still chasing Philadelphia in the division. So resting Prescott for an extra four days in a game that by all rights you should win, perhaps even comfortably, uh, would make an awful lot of sense, especially since they didn't have him during much of the preseason. Really? They're changing uh, offensive play calling again. Yeah. In Carolina, they went from Frank Wright to uh, Thomas Brown. Now they're going back to Frank back Wright. To Wright. Yeah. And he, neither one has worked uh, <laughs> so far this year. They're yo-yoing is what they're doing, Jim. Is what it's a yo-yo squad. Yes, exactly. But, uh, Jim, before I let you get out of here, any final thoughts you might have on the show for this week? Well, I'm, I'm very – you know, the, the, the AFC North has two good – two very important games – this week. One is Thursday night. And with with the situation that the Bengals have, if they should lose this game, in division their record's gonna be horrible. In conference there's gonna it's gonna be horrible. And they very likely could would miss be missing the playoffs this year. And this was one of the best teams and we all thought that at least I did, that they could be possibly in the Super Bowl or in the the playoffs and do some damage. But the team they're playing is also very good. And there were two two of the teams that I thought were top three or four teams, five teams in the the NFL, both lost last week. One of them is going to lose Thursday night. And if it's the Bengals, they could very easily miss the playoffs. Well, we'll find out what happens with that football game tonight as we're doing the show on Thursday, a big, huge football game. And uh, Cincinnati would also, just to roll it back a little bit, be a team that I would look at to play on for value moving forward. Just the fact that they backstepped, if you will, but they're still a really, really talented football team with a terrific quarterback. Jim and Andy, thanks so much for all of your contributions on the show this week. Always astute and good as as, uh, we've come to know. I'm going to wish you guys nothing but the best of luck this week. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. That was uh, Jim Feist, Andy Isco, joining us from Las Vegas. Let's move over to our awesome angle of the week on the football show this week, and we're going to go right back to what we did last week. Our awesome angle last week, we called it a big Bruce Springsteen fan, 10th Avenue freeze-out. 
and we played against the Atlanta Falcons for the same reason. We're going to be playing against another team in the same role this week. Uh, it cashed for us last week, and what it is basically playing against any team in the NFL that's four and five on the season in game number 10 if they're coming off a straight-up favorite loss. They're trying to get even. Uh, they're perplexed about the fact that they blew a game straight up. They were expected to win, and they do tend to come flat in these games. The Atlanta Falcons came flat last week. We're going to be playing against the New York Jets this week, and it's never hard to play against the New York Jets. Sorry about that, Greg, but uh, facts are the facts, I guess, in that situation. Teams in this role, by the way, when they're in this role, they are 8-36 and 36 straight up, these four and five teams in game 10 coming off a straight-up favorite loss, and 10 33 and two against the spread. That's 77% against the New York Jets this week for our awesome angle play. And with that, we're going to move over to Victor and myself for our complimentary plays on the card this week. And once again, I want to remind you it's being brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv, where they feature monthly 5% rebates to all clients. You can get a 5% rebate on all of your losses with same free, uh, I should say free same day payouts at uwager.lv. Check them out. Log on now, uwager.lv, or give them a call toll-free at 800-U-WAGER. Victor, what do you happen to be looking at for your complimentary play this week? Uh, well, Mark, first off, our four-star NFL over over the week. It's already up on the website, playbooksports.com, or our website shortcut where you uh, in your web browser, you just type in pv.buzz slash bk. Uh, our website browser. Um, last week, it was the Chargers-Lions over for our over the week. That was a W. w. Uh, two weeks ago, it was the Cowboys-Eagles over. Three weeks ago, it was the Saints and the Colts over. So we're going for four straight uh, overs of the week in pro football. Again, check it out at playbooksports.com. And you also want to check out, Mark, some of our newsletters now best bets what does that say 12 5 and 1 70 percent last three weeks totals tip sheet newsletter best bets six and oh last two Sweet. weeks mark mark Sweet. these things Sweet. are too hot to handle these <laughs> newsletters they're too hot I uh, love it. Hey, this is the optimum time to check out our weekly publications we're on a big time roll november's been a great month for both publications not to mention midweek alert, not to mention the wise guy contest as well. Uh, for our free play this week, you know, I was going to give out one of our selections in the totals tip sheet newsletter. I'm not going to do that. We're too hot. If you want this week's winners, you got to, it's only $11. Just pony up, right. But I am going to take a look at a game that made it as one of our final team totals this week. And we're going to go over the total with the Tennessee Titans and their team total. Their number is 16 and a half uh, this particular week as they take to the road to play division rival Jacksonville in the Sunday early kickoffs. Now, I know the Titans are only two and seven over under on the season. They're only averaging 17.1 points per game. The great thing for us, the bar has been set low. All we're asking from Tennessee is an average output of 17 or more points. If you take a look at this Jaguars-Titans series, in the last seven games, the Titans have averaged 25.8 points per game. They have scored 20 or more in six out of those seven games. 
And it's not like Jacksonville has got this dominant defense either. They're ranked number 23 in the league. They're allowing 21.1 on the season. And in their home games, they're averaging a full touchdown more, 27.0 points per game at home. Uh, looking at Tennessee's offensive success on the division road as of late, pretty much seals the deal. Since the beginning of the 2019 season, Tennessee has averaged a very, very high 29.5 points per game in their last 12 division road games. So with that said, we think there's some value here. All we're asking Tennessee to do is to score 17 or more on the road against Jacksonville. So, Mark, for our free play, we will play on the Titans. Team total over 16.5. And, again, don't forget this week's newsletters and our over of the week at playbooksports.com. Great job, Victor King. He goes over with the Titans. And, Victor, correct me if I'm wrong. When we talked a little bit about three in a row on the road in the NFL, did you mention that those teams tend to play over in those football games? Was, was that uh, a, a point you brought out? I'm not quite sure. We did, but in AFC games, within okay. the AFC conference, we've had uh, uh, even better over results as well. So uh, another reason – to lean over, as as you just mentioned, the Titans are playing their third road game in a row. Very good. Uh, Victor King from King Creole Sports. Check him out at playbooksports.com. Before I get to my complimentary play on the football card this week, I want to remind our listeners out there, we're doing a very, very rare double five-star weekend this weekend. We've had really good success with our five-star plays. I've got a five-star college football game of the month, a loaded college football card. And we've isolated a really strong play in the National Football League for a five-star game of the month play. Best of all, you can get both of these plays in all of my selections this weekend for just $129 complete. Check it out. Log on now at playbooksports.com or give us a call toll-free. The number is 800-321-7777. With that, my complimentary play, we're going to go inside the ACC. Look out my back window down here for the Miami Hurricanes who come up pretty nice last week. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke didn't start the game, but he came off the bench and played very, very well in the football contest. He's healthy. He was sort of semi-bench because of his poor play, and he was also banged up, but he'll be healthy and at quarterback for the Hurricanes this week against Louisville. The Hurricanes come in here. Mario Cristobal, who's taken a beating by a lot of the people in the industry, he's really been successful against good quality teams, against 888 or better teams. He's 16 and 7 against the spread. That's a pretty strong number. And also, if the Canes or his team, I should say, are a 600 or better team in those games, he's 8 and 3 straight up and 9 and 2 to the spread. Miami also a very strong home dog. Pick or dog, because this game is right around pick right now, when they're coming off a loss, they've cashed eight of the last nine times. For Louisville, they come in here. This team has not cashed a ticket on the road this year. They're 0-4 to the spread in their four road games. They're also just 1-7-1 to the spread the last nine times they've gone out as a road pick or favorite. Stay at home with Miami. I think they're building momentum down here with the Hurricanes. We'll play them over Louisville for our complimentary play on the card this week. And that's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Vegas, and our good friend Jim Feist, the living legend in Las Vegas, for all their great contributions on the show this week. And also Greg DePalmer, our producer, with the great content information on the show, as always, this week. 
And as Greg would remind me to remind you, make sure you subscribe, hit the subscribe button. It doesn't cost anything, but become a subscriber to our program. And we're going to hit our goal here. If you can help us along, just subscribe, hit the subscribe button down below. Until next week, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it. And good luck as always. Thank <laughs> you.